It is written. We are continuing in our series today where we are really establishing the Word of God as the absolute authority. I just want to open by echoing Pastor Weston's sentiment for my family members and friends who have served. I like to say it this way, whenever I was off playing baseball, these people were in boot camp. When I was in New York and Florida and I was having a hard time being away from my family, there were people who were in Saudi Arabia, Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, and I am very grateful for them, that while I was determining, it's okay, right here, while I was determining how God would have me to serve, they were just serving. And so while I was taking, and I just want to take the opportunity this morning so that we don't and you don't make the same mistake, but while I was taking my freedom for granted, men and women across the world were and are fighting for our freedom because freedom was not and is not free. Somebody paid for it. Can you praise God one more time for those who have paid for our freedom? I was uh, considering what to, what to preach this week. And I, I, even, I even shared like last Sunday that I thought, that I would probably go to Luke chapter four. And, and then I was trying to figure out what to call this as, as God and Lucifer have like this face off in the wilderness. So the first message title I thought of was showdown with Satan. And I was like, that's a little intense. <laughs> and I, and just, I, I try to every Monday morning, I completely decompress on Sunday afternoon, like literally almost the whole world could fall apart. And I'd be like, oh man, I was, I'll pray, you know? And so, but by Monday morning, I'm, I'm ready to start feeding again. I'm, I'm preparing again. I'm thinking again. And, and I happen to open up. I like to listen. I like to listen to other people preach. Like I'm not just a pastor. I, I really don't love to read. Um, I'm just at the end of the day, another child of God. And I like to listen to some of my friends and mentors and other pastors preach. And, and last week I, I happened to open and uh, I follow, subscribe to Shreveport Community Church where Pastor Denny Duran has preached for years and his son is now leading the way there. And Pastor Denny Rodney Duran uh, was in the, the end of a series that they were in, and he called it Face Off with Satan. And I was like, my man's about to preach my message for me. So I listened to it, and he began to, uh, if you will, explicate his way down through this passage as, as we will do today. And I learned some things that I want to share with you, but one of the first things that he pointed out, and, and this is in your notes, one of the first things that he pointed out is that we should not be afraid of what the enemy may attack. We should not be afraid of what the enemy may attack because he's going to attack. But we should, hear me, examine where the enemy may be able to attach. If you notice in this passage, the enemy attacked Jesus but there was nowhere in the life of Jesus Christ, God incarnate, fully man and yet fully God. There was no secret. Come on. There was no social media. Oh, we just going to go there today. There was no app. I can't help nobody this morning. There, 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 there was no former thing that was hanging over Jesus' head that hadn't been dealt with. And there was no form of entertainment and or idolatry within the Son of God that allowed the enemy the opportunity to attach. There was no open window. Let me say it this way. There was no foothold for the enemy to establish a stronghold in the life of Jesus, in the life of the child of God. We should not be afraid when the enemy attacks, and you will understand why by the end of this message, but we should examine. In fact, you probably need to do it right now in the way that you dress in what you listen to, and what you look at, and what you watch. Why? 
Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Highlight that real big. Circle full or highlight it or use your little like uh, digital ink pen and circle, big, big, big circle, whatever around it. Make sure that you focus in on full. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led. Do the same thing. Led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. I'm going to come back to it. Verse 2, where, the, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Okay, I want you to notice, he wasn't just tempted at the end of the 40 days. That's a, a little bit of a confusion in translation there at times. He wasn't just, we're not reading about the only temptation that Jesus faced. He was tempted in every way, and yet he was without sin. And for 40 days, he was being tempted by the devil incessantly, most likely. He ate nothing during those days. So you're going to tempt me, I'll just do away with everything. I'm going to disconnect myself from anything and anybody I could be tempted with. For 40 days, he ate nothing. And at the end of those 40 days, thank you, Dr. Luke, my man was hungry. I mean, rightfully so. 40 days. Physically, he was hungry. But do you remember in verse 1 what we highlighted? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Holy Spirit... So even though he was hungry physically, the Bible says he was full spiritually. Now listen, it wasn't about him feeling better about how full he was. Because we take the things of God and make them self-centered unintentionally. It was about him fulfilling the will of God that ultimately caused him to be full. And so even though he was hungry spiritually, he was, I'm sorry, hungry physically, he was full spiritually. So I, I ask you this question today. And I think you might want to write it down. It's not in your notes. I'm, I'm going to make you work just a little bit, okay? Um, what, what fuels me? What, what, what fills me? What, what is the inspiration behind the way that you live? What's, what's the fuel for your desire? Like tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up and you're going to want some things. Oh, come on, some of y'all, right, right now, you think about some things you want. <laughs> and that's okay. This afternoon, tomorrow, on a daily basis, we have some wants. And then we have some needs. What is, what is driving those desires? What, what is causing, what are you thinking about? But what's causing you to think about it? And then because the Bible says, as a man thinks, so he is. What's causing you to act? What inspires you to action? Here's why I'm asking this question. Because what you are filled by, you will be led by. In other words, what we fill ourselves with will be what leads us. So what's leading you? What's determining your desires? What are you spending your time investing in? Let me ask it this way as we just evaluate this for a few minutes. What would it take for God to get your attention? What, what does God, so all the parents and grandparents in the room, I got these three little people. She gave them to me. God gave them to her. Actually, she gave them to me. Anyways, that's not, <laughs> sorry, I'm back. So sometimes as a father, like, they're so tiny, and yet there's, they can make you so angry. And, and sometimes I'm just like, I just want to take this little person. And, and, and I just, I'm trying to figure out what's causing, like, what is causing this action? What, what do you not understand about what I just said? And, and some of you may have, what do I have to do? Come on. And you're like trying to stay sane and not look like that idiotic parent in the aisle. You know what I mean? Like everybody's watching now, and you're like, it's okay. I'm going to beat him when we get home, not here. Don't worry. Don't worry. You are not going to film me beating my child, no. Um, but, but 
<laughs> you take, you, you got this little person and you're just like, what do I have to do? You know, I think that God feels that way sometimes about me. And certainly he feels that way about his so-called children. Like, what else do I have to do? What else do I have to show you? Was 9-11 not enough? Did you know that churches were full across the nation the week after 9-11? Was 2020 not enough of a warning? Like, do you not realize that you should not be taking your freedom for granted at this point? Did you see how easily it could be taken away? What does God have to do for you to truly understand what's actually important? Let me say it this way. What does your heavenly father have to do in order for you to actually live for Jesus? I get so frustrated with people that say they believe in Jesus, but live like they listen to Lucifer. What does God have to do? I'm not mad at anybody. I'm really not. I just get frustrated at the idea. If we say we believe in him, then live for him. And some of you are like me. If you're not careful, you, you'll look down your, your spiritually arrogant nose at people that, that need to hear this right now. And some of you are thinking, you know, like, oh, man, he's right. Boy, I hope that, hope that they're listening. Okay, for you. The Lord told me to ask this. If you understand what's actually important, then how much time did you invest in it last week? If you understand what's actually important, do your finances represent it? Or do you spend more on cable than you do missions? If, if you understand the value of eternity and actually living for Jesus, is it represented in how many hours you spent on it last week? Oh, wow. Stop standing where I'm preaching, I won't step on your toes. The same could be said for me. Like, if I look at my time, and I look at my ability, and I look at my gifting, and I look at my finances, do they represent that I am living for Jesus? Come on, can my accountant finish my finances in December and go, man, this dude's living for God? Because it should be represented there. It should be evident in every area of your life because what we are filled by, here's what, listen to me. The devil does not get credit for what you're not willing to do. And the devil does not get credit for what you do to yourself. You know what the devil doesn't get to decide? What you fill yourself with. I have never seen the devil not one time in my life pick up a spoon and shove it down my throat. Come on, the devil ain't turned one person's cell phone on and told him to send that message. He didn't take anybody's finger and make them type it out. No, 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 we do things ourselves. But here's the good news. What you fill yourself with, you will be led by. Let's look at Jesus, verse three. The devil, showdown with Satan. The devil said to Jesus, if you are the son of God. Isn't it interesting that uh, the devil understands that if he can attack our identity, he can confuse us in every other area as well? Yeah. Have you ever seen our nation more confused about who God created them to be and who they're called to be? Now, before we point the finger at the world, did you know that 90% of the church can't tell you why they're here? 90, 90%, that's why Discover Purpose is one of the things that we really value and, and why we so value next steps and, and spiritual assessments and, and dream teams and small groups and freedom groups. Because wouldn't it be sad that we would have a church full of so-called children that don't know why God put them here? If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. I bought this bread on Thursday I didn't want to take it out of the bag because I didn't want it to crumble. But since Thursday, this bread's got mildew on it. I would be so mad if I bought this for my house. It was Thursday. I can't eat a loaf of bread since Thursday. What am I going to do with this? I'm going to use it as an illustration. If you are the son of God. Did you notice that Jesus didn't go, 
I am, I am to the Son of God. I am you. You, who do you think you do? My daddy's bigger than your dad. There was no defense, right? It wasn't like Jesus like, I'm a man, I'm 40, come at me. No, there was no, there was no self-defense there. There was, there was no struggle for patriotism in the place. Well, I, I, I'm Southern and, and I'm American and I'm a, No, he didn't do any of that. That's not how he responded to the challenge. Write this down if you take a note. Number one, the enemy likes to attack God's provision. He likes to attack God's provision. He likes for us to think that we're in control. He likes to think that God's provision is up to us. He likes to think, he likes for us to think that God's, that God's provision is dependent upon what political figure is in the, y'all don't, y'all got so quiet on me. It's like I offended you in the first five minutes that the enemy likes for us to think that our provision is based on what policy is passed or what person is in charge. Hear me. There is only one, come on, who can provide for my every need. So I don't need to cut corners whenever I know who's paving the way. Come on, somebody. Small is the gate and narrow is the way, but the way leads unto life. And I can walk the straight and narrow as long as I'm walking it with Jesus. I can use the ability that God has given me in secular society, in corporate America, in the institution of the church, wherever he puts me in the restaurant. Come on. I can go on vacation and live out loud what God has for me. I can use the ability that God has given to me to receive what God has for me. And the last time I checked, my God still owns a cattle on a thousand hilltop. Jesus didn't feel the need to defend himself. Jesus felt the need to declare who his father was because Jesus Christ was there when God's voice turned nothing into everything and Jesus was there when the Israelites got manna from nowhere and Jesus was there when quail came from the sea to feed the people of God and Jesus could see his tomorrow from his yesterday and Jesus understood how stupid is it that Satan tried to tempt Jesus with something that he was going to give to everybody else 4,000 people fed with just a few loaves and a few fish and then again 5,000 people just two fish and five loaves. I don't need you to do anything for me, Lucifer. I'm not here providing for myself. You can't tempt my provision because I'm not my provider. He provided manna in the wilderness. And the Bible says that the righteous in Christ have never been forsaken and their children have never been left begging for bread. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and his glory in Christ Jesus. So you can't throw my ability to work Lucifer you can't threaten my ability to be enforced into employment you can't threaten my ability to buy and sell you can't threaten my ability to provide because I am not my provider I serve Jehovah Jireh and it is the Lord God who is my provider Jesus essentially said Lucifer get up out my face with your temptation of trying to convince me that my boss is my provider or my company is my provider. No, 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 my God is my provider. Verse 5 says the devil led him up to a high place and he showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, if you will, Imagine that Lucifer takes Jesus to the top of Lady Liberty. And in an instant, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And then he says this, verse 6. Lucifer says to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor. How dumb is this dude? I will give you, he's talking to God. I will give you all of their authority and splendor because it has been given to me. 
This is like a prisoner coming to a new prisoner, trying to convince the new prisoner that he's in charge. It's like him saying, hey, if you come over here in our crew, we run this house. We're in charge here. No, you're not stupid. The, the guard is in charge. The state is in charge. This is not your home. You're in prison. If you serve me, I'll give you all the playing cards you want. Come on, sir. I'll give you all the cigarettes. You'll never run out of toothpaste and or soap. I'm going to help you out. This is the prisoner. Come on. Talking to the warden. Telling him, I'll give you all authority because it's been given to me. Satan is so confused about what he has that he thinks God has given him splendor and authority by kicking him out of heaven. This is not the place that you're supposed to. You have no authority here. This is your condemnation. This is your punishment. But Jesus, like us, should remind the enemy that the place that is punishment for him, come on, is just preparation for me. I wasn't even created for this. I'm stuck here with you right now, but I ain't staying here because this ain't my house and this ain't where I'm headed. I'm just passing. Somebody tell the devil the next time he tempts you and or attacks you, I'm just passing through. I ain't got time for you. I'm not staying in this mess. You might attack me with this, but this isn't what I was created for. Jesus responds to the enemy. He says, I'm sorry, the devil says, I can, I can give it to anybody I want. It's so dumb. Verse 7, if you worship me, it will all be yours. If you worship me. I mean, if I were Jesus, I'd been like, it is mine, dummy. It'd be like one of my children coming up to me with something they got out of my house. It'd be like, Daddy. You bow down and worship me right now, I'm going to give you this. Like, how about I just slap you and take it? I bought it. It's mine. <laughs> and yet Jesus doesn't do what I would have done. Jesus simply responds, verse 8, Jesus answered, it is written. See, you don't have to get all emotional. You don't have to defend the truth. You just have to declare it. Jesus just looks back and says, it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, the enemy likes to attack God's protection. He likes to let people think that, that they can provide their own security. Like, I've seen so many times, now listen, this is a single shot, 410, okay? Nothing in it there, still nothing in it. I'd have to cock it and pull the, I'd have to load it, cock it, and pull the trigger, okay? I couldn't find my Red Rider BB gun. So I got this breakaway single shot 410, which is, by the way, for anybody that has ever had an older cousin and or older sibling, way safer than a Red Rider BB gun, that is not something to play tag with. It hurts when it hits you. I'm just, I learned that lesson the hard way, okay? So did my younger cousins. Anyway, I have seen people, and I'm just using this as an illustra illustration. I have seen people lay down their salvation with somebody that didn't agree that they should have one of these. I mean, I'm talking sever relationship with family members they could have led to Jesus over an opinion. I mean, more interested in their constitutional rights than they are in the Great Commission. Willing to fight tooth and nail over the ability to own and provide ammo for this Ain't shared the gospel with nobody in a decade, but ready to go to war over their right to bear arms. Who is your protection? Who is your faith in? Now, I'm not saying that I'm not grateful for the police. I, I like this. Like, this gun is the gun that my daughter shot her first wood duck with. And the reason I like to shoot wood ducks is because I like to eat wood duck. Now, I don't know if you've ever knifed a wood duck before. I've tried it a couple of times. It's kind of tough. 
I, I own a lot of these. And if you come into my house late at night while I'm asleep, I'll introduce you to them. That's not how I want you to meet Jesus, but I'll help you if you just need. <laughs> so I can't say stuff like that in Washington, only in Louisiana. But y'all understand. Y'all understand that we put way too much substance in stuff like this. That our protection is not found in things that, that men create. Let me, now, I'm going to be really careful here because I'm not trying to intentionally offend people, but I need, to, I, I need to address something today. My security is not found in anything made by the hands of men. I'm, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm, I'm not trying to offend you specifically. Okay? I'm not going to break this to prove a point. I'm very careful with it because a good friend of mine gave it to me. And I hold it, and I, and, and I take care of it. But, but I don't pray to it. And by the way, I don't pray through it. And I, and I don't hail anybody but Jesus. And I don't give anybody glory, but you know, I honor all, but I don't give anybody but Jesus glory. And by the way, I don't pray to anybody but Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way. The only way to the Father is through me. So I don't have to pray to anybody else to ask them to go pray to Jesus for me. I, I'm, I'm, again, I'm not trying to make you mad. I'm just sharing Scripture. So if Scripture offends you, then you may want to reconsider what you believe. Well, pastor, that's just intercession. No, friend, hear me. It is not intercession for you to pray to me and then give me credit for giving you something that you prayed for. That's not intercession. That's idolatry. You asking me to pray with you, that's intercession. You asking me to pray in your place, that's idolatry. You are putting me on a pedestal and a platform that as a human being created by the hand of God, I do not deserve. Jesus did not shed his blood and raise himself from the grave so that you could ask other people to ask him something. He sits at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf so that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness, come straight to him, and call upon his name at any time about anything. I, and I'm not mad about it. I'm not trying to be ugly. It just concerns me that we have people in this society that think that they need ceramic angels hung all over their house to be protected. Or they need a, a Jesus on the cross over every door. And I'm for Jesus being, having been on the cross. I ain't for him still being there. The cross is the power of God unto all who believe. But the last time I checked, Jesus has been raised from the dead. So if you want to, if you want to hang an empty tomb over every threshold and every doorway, then it reminds me that you are, you are raised from the dead to live a resurrected life, then have at it. But stop putting your faith in trinkets and superstitions and statues because your Savior is the only one who can provide the protection that you are looking for. I believe that David understood who his protection actually was. Whenever the Bible says, and you can write this down as a reference for later, 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2. I mean, it, 2 Samuel 22, 2. Like, it's going to be really easy for you to remember. The Bible says that David sang this song. He sang this song when his enemies were defeated and he was delivered from the hand of Saul. And this song is written for us by David in Psalm chapter 18, verses 1, 2, and 3. You can go read it for yourself. It says something essentially like this. I love you, Lord, my strength, my God, in whom I find refuge. You are my fortress. You are my deliverer. My God is my rock, my shield, and the horn of my salvation. He and he alone is my stronghold. He is my shield and my son. I will call upon the name of the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And he is the only one I have to call upon. And he is the only one I should give praise to. Acts chapter 7 verse 48 says, The Most High, your heavenly Father, does not dwell in houses made by human hands. We're not building a church because this is where we have to worship God. No, we are building a building for the ecclesia to gather and learn how to govern so that they can be sent out and called out and equipped for the ministry of the working of the saints. There is, my God doesn't dwell in a house made by human hands. 
Heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. And the apostle Paul declares to the high court in the city of Athens, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples and or vessels made by human hands, nor is he served by humans. If he needs anything, he'll give it to himself because from him comes life, breath, and everything in it. In him I live. In him I am moved and in him I have my being. Unless the Lord guards the city. Come on. The night, my, the, the, the watchman bought all that ammo in vain. Oh, see, you didn't know how practical the word of God was. Unless the Lord builds the house. Come on, the policies were passed in vain. There's no political figure. I heard this this past week. If God wanted to use politics to save his people, he'd have left Moses in Egypt. That's good right there. I don't even know who to give credit to because I couldn't pronounce his name, but I like that quote. <laughs> Let's keep reading. Verse 9. So the devil led Jesus to Jerusalem, and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he still ain't learned. Like he'd been doing this for 30, 40 days. And, and listen, again, please remember this. He will always attack your identity. You get to choose who you're attracted to. Let me try it over here. You get to choose. You get to choose who you're attracted to. God has not changed his mind about one man with one woman. You do not get to choose who you affiliate with or what gender you affiliate to. That's not up to you. And if you are in a covenant marriage, I don't care who you're attracted to. Oh, by the way, you thought I was talking about one man with one woman. No, I'm talking about you and Jesus. If you're in a covenant relationship with the Son of God, then don't cheat on Jesus and call it okay. If you're in a covenant relationship with the Son of God, then don't commit adultery on the Son and call it love. See, because we lose our ability to properly share God's Word when we make God's word fit what we want it to say instead of what he intended for it to say. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Verse 10, he says, for it is written. Oh, who said that? That wasn't Jesus. That was Lucifer. See, he's figured it out. He did the same thing to the woman in the garden. You remember that one of the first things he said to her, did God really say, bump your sleepy neighbor and say, did God really say, did God really say I shouldn't dress like a harlot? I'm going to try that over here. <laughs> did God really say I shouldn't drink like a fish? Did God really say I shouldn't party like an idiot? Did God really say, I can't twist his word to make me feel better about what I want? No, no, no. Satan does the same thing that we in the house of God and they outside of the house of God do today. We like to remember what we want to remember. And we like to repeat what makes us feel better. The enemy says, it is written. Lucifer does the same thing today that I am seeing and have seen people do all the time. Listen to me, friend. God has not changed his mind about the sin that he killed his son over. He feels the same way about it today as he did 2,000 years ago when he had people dressed in robes and told them to cover themselves. He feels the same way about it today when, when Job made a covenant with his eyes before the Lord for his wife and his wife only. He feels the same way today. The only thing that's changed is how convicted we feel about it. 
Because we have become comfortable with what we used to be. I ain't even supposed to be preaching this right now, but I'm trying to help somebody today that you should not twist God's word to fit your flesh and make your sin more satisfying. You should let the Holy Spirit convict you out of that darkness, convict you out of that sin. You're not supposed to be comfortable with Lucifer. So Jesus responds. I'm sorry, let's keep reading. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. And they will lift you up in their hands. Now he's quoting Psalm 91. Referring to the psalmist in this passage. He's using scripture to try to get his way. I ain't even got time to go into all of it. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said, hold on, if we're going to quote my daddy's word, we're going to quote all of it. We're not just going to take a verse out of context and make it fit what we desire. Because God's word doesn't fit our flesh. It doesn't matter how you try to turn it. You're trying to put a square peg in a round hole. It ain't, it ain't going to work out for you. So Jesus responds, it is said. He should have said, it is also said. If you're going to take one, I'm going to give you another one. Because God's word doesn't contradict itself, but it always covers everything. Come on, somebody. Aren't you grateful that we serve a God who covered every issue with every word that he's ever had to say? Well, the Bible contradicts itself. No, it doesn't, you unhealthy theologian. It complements itself. God says what he wants to say, when he wants to say it, who he needed to say it to. And you can't take what he needed to say to somebody else and make it fit something that you're not supposed to be living in. Jesus said, it also says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The enemy, final point of the day, the enemy likes to attack God's promotion. The enemy likes to attack God's promotion. I don't think this is in your notes, but the Bible says in Psalm 75, verse 6, no one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt themselves. Like, trying to exalt yourself is exhausting. Hey, hone in. Stop trying to exalt yourself. Stop worrying about how many people like your post. Stop, stop worrying about how many people double tapped on your newsfeed or how many people responded to your request. Stop, stop, the, stop attempting to promote yourself. Self-promotion will always lead you to a lack of fulfillment because you can never promote yourself enough to be satisfied. No one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt themselves. Verse 7, it is God who judges. It is God who brings one down, and it is God who exalts another. My former pastor, he did our wedding. And after our wedding, we were trying to figure out what we were supposed to do and, and how I was going to earn an income, right? Because I, I had thought my, my whole life, was about being successful the way that the world defined success. My, my whole life was about making A's and, and performing on the field and, and getting the right job. Hey, when is the last time when, you're, when you asked your child, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they started telling you and you responded with, well, what do you think God wants you to be when you grow up? Who cares what you want to be? Who did God create you to be? Who has God called you to be? Who cares where you want to go to school? Where has God called you to go to school? Who cares what job you want? What job is God? Who cares what church is feeding you? You don't go to church to be fed. You go to church to feed. It's a give-give kind of relationship. Where has God called you to go serve as the church? Well, that, I used to go to that church. But see, you never got it. You missed it. Because you don't go to a church. You attend a service as a church. I used to think that this was what my life was about. How much of this can I earn? What do I need to do for a living to earn as much of this as possible so I can have as many things as possible? 
And some of you, you have put your marriage at stake so that you can succeed according to the ways of the world. Some of you are missing time with your children because you think that this is the most important thing that you can give them. Some of you have spun your wheels until there is no more tread on the tire and you are missing the most important things. Not that you should neglect the former in order to fulfill the latter, you should do both. And I spent my years, my years spinning my wheels because I thought that that, that is why I was here. I wanted to be promoted. Who can I rub shoulders with? Who can I be around? Oh, look, there's the person in charge. Let me act like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. No, no, no. Jesus was in the room the whole time. He knew that you weren't doing what you were supposed to be doing. And by the way, he's still in charge. God brings one down and God lifts another up. My pastor told me, Chris, if you... If you can't learn to be content on $30,000 a year, then you won't be content on $300,000 a year. You'll just have a lot of debt. Why do we put ourselves in debt trying to keep up with people that aren't even honoring God? Guys, why are we so concerned about impressing people who are not even living for Jesus? Paul said, I have learned to be content no matter my circumstances, whether I have much or I have little. It doesn't matter because I'm not here to promote myself. We realized this this past week, just sharing this with another couple and we'd, we'd never even thought about it before. Megan and I have never had a fight about finances, never, not one time. In, in 13 years of marriage and 17 years of dating and being around, now we have fought about a lot of other things. A lot, a lot of things. Some of them were yesterday. Come on. I know I'm being loud, but these people are, they're they're driving me crazy. I'm so thankful that our veterans give us something to celebrate because LSU ain't gave me nothing to celebrate recently. God, help me. Somebody asked, Megan asked me, hey, babe, what you gonna wear tomorrow? I was like, I don't know. I'm either wearing my LSU shirt or black. I had a black jacket on, got too hot. In, in our, in our, now we might fight about it next week. I'm not, cause, cause we're not perfect. We're people. But we have never had a fight about finances. And here's why. Because since the day that we met, we gave the first 10% to God. And then every time that God tells us to give something else, we give that too. That's an offering. By the way, one of them's required. The other one is highly recommended. And we don't get to choose which one because his word already did. I'm not even preaching that today. The second 10%, we do our best to save. We try to pay ourselves. Retirement, savings accounts, et cetera, et cetera. And so we have 80% left, and we live off the 80%. Because it didn't matter what I drove or where I was or what I was living in as long as I was with Jesus. And we made a decision in 2009. God, we'll go wherever you want us to go. We'll do whatever you want us to do as long as you're with us. But don't send me out anywhere unless you're going with me there. I'll make whatever you want me to make. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. And can I tell you that thus far, that plan has been pretty successful. God, I don't know that I'm promoted everywhere that I wanted to be, but I am exactly where God has for me to be. I am doing exactly what God wants me to do. And you can do that at the restaurant, in Walmart, at the workplace, in your house. When you go where God tells you to go and you do what God tells you to do, then you don't worry about promoting yourself because you don't even care about your promotion come on somebody you just care about your position and if you are humbled therefore under the mighty hand of God in due season he will lift you up do not grow weary in your labor do not grow weary in well-doing for in due time says the Lord he you will reap a harvest if you do not give up so here's what I want to tell you as we begin to wrap this thing and land this plane stop standing in line with all of David's brothers and get back out in the field and start serving some sheep because the prophet is getting ready to anoint some servants but he can't do nothing with a bunch of arrogant sons and daughters that don't want to do what God wants them to do.
He will put one down. He will lift another up. This is my final closing. I've had three of them. This is my final. John chapter, I'm sorry, verse 13. Let's read verse 13. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. When the devil had finished all this tempting, after he finished his first wave of of attack, he left him until a more opportune time because he's still stupid enough to think that there is a more opportune time because he's not done attacking. Even though he couldn't attach, he still thinks he has a chance. I wanna mess up your theology, you ready? Jesus Christ did not come to this earth to overcome the devil. Now, if I'd have heard that about five or six years ago, I'd have been like, whoa, hold up there. That's a tricky teaching. But Jesus Christ did not come to this earth. He didn't die on the cross. He wasn't raised from the dead because Satan needed to be defeated. Guys, I want to help you. Satan was not defeated on the cross or in the empty tomb. That's not why Jesus came. Let me show you why Jesus came. John chapter 14, verse 27. He said, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and peace of heart, provision, protection, promotion, and peace. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. If the world can't give it, then the prince of the world can't give it. So don't be troubled. This is for somebody. Don't be troubled and do not be afraid. Look, verse 30. I don't have much more time to talk to you. And some of you are praying that that's true for me as well. And it is. Come on, I don't have. I'm in the red on my time to talk to you. Because the ruler of this world approaches. And he's still approaching. He's still going to attack. Probably this afternoon, at least by tomorrow morning and throughout the next week. But he has no, this is such good news. He has, you might want to prophesy this into your future plans. He has no power over me. Verse 31, I will do what the Father requires of me. What was it? He was about to go to the cross. He is praying, John 14, 15, and 16, 17. He is about to go and be crucified on the cross. He does not say that what the Father wants me to do is go die on the cross and be raised from the dead so that the devil can be defeated. Look what he says. So that the world will know that I love the Father. Come on, let's get going. Here's what I came to tell you today. Lucifer is not losing. Lucifer already lost. Lucifer lost in the book of Genesis. Lucifer lost the first time he went up against the Father. Lucifer lost when he tried to gather a third of heaven's army to go up against two-thirds of God's army. God cast him out to the depth of the sea and the spirit of the Lord hovers over the face of the waters. Lucifer lost every time God showed up in the Old Testament. Lucifer lost when Jesus Christ was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And Lucifer lost on the third day when Jesus Christ came out of the grave. Lucifer lost when the Holy Spirit showed up in the book of Acts and the church began to multiply in a system that was not set up for it to multiply. Lucifer loses over and over and over again. And the last time I checked in the book of Revelation, when the Lord allows him to go out one more time and deceive the nations, Jesus Christ locks that sucker up in a lake of fire for all eternity. If he lost in Genesis and he lost in Revelation, then we should not fear of his attack in between. But we need to examine. We need to examine where he may have the ability to attach. If you will, bow your head and close your eyes. Father, help us to examine right now. Help us to examine. Is there any area in my life where the enemy can attach? Is there any open window Any form of disobedience. God, a place where I'm only obeying partially. God, is there a foothold that the enemy could come in? That that sin could be conceived and then incubate and ultimately ultimately be given birth and my whole life and your plan and your purpose for my life be destroyed in one decision. 
because I didn't examine the area where the enemy could attach. If you're in the room right now, I want you to hear that the enemy is not a formidable foe for Jesus, but for us, he is. If we're not in Christ, if we're not living for God, following Jesus with all of our heart, the enemy is a formidable foe and he will take you out. Come on, but if you will surrender your life to God, he will bring you in. And even when the enemy attacks your identity, even when the enemy attacks your provision and protection and promotion, you can remind him as Jesus did, it is written. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child. Are you a child? Is Jesus your king? Is he your savior? If you need to give your life to Jesus or you need to give your life back to Jesus today, I wanna to invite you to simply open your hands right where you are and posture yourself in a position to surrender. Nobody else can do this for you. A lot of people can do it with you, but, but nobody can do it for you. Position yourself in full surrender as if you're letting go of what you've been hanging on to. And now you're postured to receive what God has for you. And the first thing he has for you is for you to be born again, to be made new, to be forgiven and set free, to become a child of God. If you're in the room or you're watching online, church, I wanna ask you to pray loud so that anybody that needs to confess this prayer would be confident to know that they are not alone and pray out loud with us right now. Come on, let's pray this together. Jesus, forgive me where I've fallen short. I've been unfaithful distracted and disobedient. That's sin. And sin separates me from you and your will for my life. But you gave your life so that I could live. You died on the cross. You shed your blood. You paid for my sin. You were raised from the dead so I could be born again, made new, just like you. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. May I follow you with all of my heart from this day forward. Take my life and make it yours. I surrender all right now. Every area, every desire, every thought, it's yours, oh God, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, can you give God praise today?